this podcast from Jubilee Church Derby, a church family looking to make a difference across the city of Derby and beyond. This is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations, and you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. So appreciate the word that Joe brought about being brave. Always good to hear that before you stand up to preach, isn't it? Thank you so much. Excellent. I wonder, um, I realise it's only the 20th of November, but before I just bring you what I feel God's put in my heart, I wonder if it's, I can have your permission just to share a Christmas story. I know it's early, but is that okay? Oh, I, I, I realised I was going to be on dodgy ground even asking that question. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, those that are in agreement, sit over there. No, that's fine. Um, it used to be a tradition in our household when my mum was alive, that um, whenever she used to come and stay, and we had three children, at the dinner table she always used to ask general knowledge questions. And I think there was a twofold reason for that. Number one, it made her look really good because no one could ever answer them. And number two, she thought it would stretch our children to such a degree, actually, that they would grow up and go to university and be prime minister or something. That never happened either, but anyway. So we've carried on the tradition a little bit. So when the, when the grandchildren come round, we sit down, have a meal, and then we ask them a few questions. And we just got round to talking about Christmas this year, as you would do. And um, so it was my two grandsons, so Ethan, who's six, and Joey, who's four. So Julie was asking about Christmas and about the three wise kings, etc., and the sort of things they brought when they went to the, to the manger. And uh, so Julie said, so what do you think, Ethan, that, that the wise men brought? And the first word out of mouth, beer. <laughs> well, okay, so we've got a bit of work to do with him, I guess. But actually, not a bad, perhaps he meant to say myrrh, but he said beer. But anyway, so we've got a bit of work to do there. But I just thought, yeah, kids have different perspective than we do sometimes. So, good morning, my name's John, I'm part of the leadership team here. Let's move on from that Christmas story, I got away with that one. Um, what am I preaching on this morning? When I... When my life group asked me this week what am I preaching on, and I told them, I could tell actually by their faces they wanted to look at the ground and look at anywhere apart from in my face. I'm speaking on identity theft this morning. Same reaction with you lot. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> so, and, that, and the tumbleweed sort of blew across the front of the room sort of thing. But um, that's what I felt God's put in my heart to speak on this morning. And it may seem a very strange thing to stand up in front of the church and speak about. But let me give you a little bit of background to the reason I'm speaking on this. So I went onto the internet and I looked up what identity theft was. And I realise that most of you will know this very well, but let me just remind you what it actually is. So it's the deliberate use of someone else's identity, usually as a method to gain a financial advantage or obtain credit or other benefits in the person's name. Identity theft occurs when someone uses another personality, another personally identifying information like their name, credit card number, without their permission to commit fraud or other crimes. What are the consequences? Often there's no personal possessions have been taken, and you may therefore be unaware that a crime has actually taken place. It's a very subtle offence. So prevention would be to take care to protect your data by being aware of your privacy settings, be aware of suspicious emails, especially if they come from the church office, Completely destroy all documents, sorry David, completely destroy all documents containing your personal data rather than just discarding them with the rest of your rubbish. So I guess there's no surprises there really, and identity theft is rife. So that's identity theft of our possessions, 
But let's think about what identity theft of our mind might look like for a second. I don't know if you heard, it was probably earlier last week, there was a child line report. You know, a child line was set up by Esther Ransom so many years ago now. And it said in that report, more than a third of 12 to 15 year olds are being exposed to hate speech online, according to a new research. The regulator Ofcom asked children who use this website whether at any point in the past year they'd seen anything hateful directed at them, particularly people based on their characteristics such as gender, religion, disability, sexuality or gender identity. Of the 34% who said they'd seen hate speech in the past year, 7% said they saw it regularly and 27% saw they, they said they saw it sometimes. And amongst many other reports on there, which is really quite stark, a 13-year-old girl told counsellors, I am a nobody, I'm worthless, and I feel like I don't mean anything to anyone. How tragic for anybody to write that. You see, I guess if we're told enough times that we will never amount to anything in life like this girl was, or that your face doesn't fit in this place, or that you'll never make a good husband, wife, parent, child, grandparent, if you're told or listen to something like that, like that that's so destructive enough times, then you start to believe it. You take it on board and it begins to negatively shape your life. It's like a drip, drip effect in your mind. And I believe we live in unprecedented times where the very fabric of who we are, the values we hold to be true, and the potential we all have is being daily undermined, stolen, or corrupted. But as God's church here this morning, what can we say about the identity we've taken in Jesus Christ? So let me ask you, do you think it's possible to have that identity temporarily stolen? So let's try answering that question as we look at what happened in Judges 6. So if you want to turn to that or you want to look it up on your phone or iPad, whatever, very famous passages of the Bible here. And I'm going to pray see it a little bit. So it's all about the Israelites and it says here they did evil in the eyes of the Lord and here we go again, the nation of Israel time after time going around the same mountain because they don't learn. They go off, they get right with God, then they disappear and they go off and they serve other gods. They abandon God, they abandon their first love. And they go round and round this mountain. And at this point in time, God has pretty much abandoned them again to the Midianites. And it says here, for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. And they'd suffered oppression for all of those years. And it says later in the chapter that the Midianites were numbered. Their camels could not be numbered more than sand on the seashore. There's that many of them. So what was happening every so often, the Midianites would just sweep in to Manasseh, take all of the livestock, everything they'd grown, everything they wanted to eat, and just take it all away, basically. It says they did not spare a living thing. So every time they came in, they just wrecked the joints. To such an extent that the Israelites in this part of this chapter here were now living in caves in the mountains, so afraid were they of the Midianites. And it says the Midianites so impoverished Israel that they finally called out to the Lord for help. So finally, after seven years, they thought, oh, crikey, we've had enough of this. Every year, twice, three times a year, the Midianites come in and they take all of our stuff. 
I wonder if you've ever been in a situation like this where you've lost your hope and your enemies seem too numerous to count. So at this stage, Israel was looking for a hero. And let's look at a possible cast list. So James, let's have a look at the first one. So here's the hero for Israel. What do you think? Magnificent Seven, know the story there. Rode in, down in the bottom of Mexico, I think, when this happens. So this is before there was a wall built between America and Mexico, yeah? <laughs> the, the Mexican, no, don't, don't go all them um, political. So it could be the Magnificent Seven. Okay, thank you, James. Could be the A-Team. Okay, who knows the aim, names of the A-Team? Dan? I knew you would. Sorry? Yeah, the, uh, yeah. Do you know their names? Yeah. Hannibal, yeah. Man, he's on the ball, isn't he? Okay. So, could be the A-team. And what was their catchphrase? Kid man, he's on the ball this morning. I love it when the plan comes together. Could be them. Okay, James, thank you. Could be Superman. Yeah. Could be Clark Kent. And again, James, please. Who's that? Charlie's Angels. Do we know the names of them? Uh, Kelly, Jill and Sabrina, I'd have to look that up, I had no idea what that <laughs> And then I think there was four at one stage, wasn't there? It started off with three and they went to four. That's inflation for you. But anyway, it could be them. Okay, James, next one. Could be that. Who knows what that is? I haven't got a clue either. I just found it on, found it on an image. No idea who that is. Some flying dog of some sort. Well, anyway, and the next one, please. Oh, right. Now, this doesn't particularly look like a hero to me. Um, looks like a guy that's lost his way somewhat so I don't know if that should really be a hero but this is I guess where we depicted as, as Gideon and if you remember in this story he's, he's in a wine press threshing wheat and suddenly the angel appears doesn't he, the angel of the Lord appears and says the Lord is with you mighty warrior or mighty man of valour as in the King James Version does that look like a mighty warrior or mighty man of valour to you Probably not. He might do some damage with that stick, but apart from that. But there, put yourself in that position for a second. There you are. You're part of a tribe that's been impoverished for seven years. Not a lot to eat around. And every time you grow something, someone comes in and steals it all. So then you're living in a, in a cave in the, in the mountains. And every so often you come down to a wine press to thresh some wheat. Because that's a secure place to be as well. So this man now has got a different mentality. And he said when the angel appeared to him, he said, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the weakest of my clan. So does that sound like a hero to you? He's written himself off already. He's got what I would term an Israelite mentality because he knows basically he's on the end of a beating every so often. And it's a bit like Gideon had, a bit like that girl on Childline, he'd succumbed to this mentality. It had lasted for years and it was part of the fabric of the society he lived in and it was deeply entrenched in his life. But if you roll these verses in, in Judges forward a little bit, you know that actually God got hold of him. He spoke to him, Gideon suddenly saw God's perspective on his life. And he started off with 20,000 men, didn't he, to go and rout the Midianites. Started off with 20,000 and God said, no, no, I don't want you to take 20,000. And he got it down to 300 men. Okay, because he didn't want anybody to boast in the numbers. He wanted everybody to boast in God's ability to do this. 
So this weak man became a military leader, a judge, a prophet, and ultimately a king over Israel. So to be able to further answer the question of identity theft, we now need to fully understand our uniqueness in God through Jesus. And secondly, we need to recognise the cunning and deceitfulness of the enemy who opposes us. You see, on most days, I'm over here. I know my position before God and I endeavour to walk in the good through such verses such as this. 1 Peter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And I was reading that the other day and I thought, actually, I'm going to personalise that because it talks about us. But I want to personalise it. And I said, I am a chosen person. I'm royalty. And that's not arrogance. That's knowing our position before God. I'm part of a holy nation. I'm God's special possession so that I may declare the praises of him who called me out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once I was a nobody, but now I'm hidden with Christ in God. Once I had not received mercy, but now I have received mercy. Or how about these verses, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new has come, the old has passed away. Think about that for a minute. You're a new creation before God. If you've given your heart to Jesus this morning, you are a new creation before him. Or what about Philippians 4.13? I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Not just some things, everything. Now, if we read or listen to these promises every day through any form of media, if we meditate on those verses and so many more in our quiet times, then we get reminded of the majesty of our God. We get a glimpse of our hero Jesus through the words John Henry Henry Newman, um, who wrote praise to the holiest in the height. He said here, a loving wisdom of our God when all was sin and shame, a second Adam to the fight and to the rescue came. A second Adam, Jesus came. He was our hero. He came to do, stand in the, in the place where we should have been rightfully standing. He did it all. We've been rescued. Hallelujah. And through this we're reminded that he, Jesus, having done all things, has now assumed his rightful place at the right hand of the Father. Ephesians 1, 21 to 23. That rightful place described here is far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his holy, so which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. That's wonderful news in itself. Everything is subject to him, but there's more. Ephesians 2, 6 says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. We're joint heirs to his divine rights. When we start to take truth like that on board, the truth sets us free. And when we realise through verses such as these that God is lifting us to a higher place, 
our perspective changes and we see things as he intended. The scales fall off our eyes and we get a revelation as we realise our potential and our position before the very throne of God. So had God got it wrong with Gideon? Absolutely not. He knew the potential of the man who loved and submitted his life to him. Here's the problem I often face. You see, I know that I know all these things. So why is it that sometimes I can find myself over here, having lost my peace and my relationship with God seems a distant thing? Just pop up that next slide, James, for me, please. Quite a famous government advisory thing that came out many years ago. But then I realised in my life and in our lives there is enemy activity. And then I remember if our struggle is is not against, sorry, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And of course, it dawns on me again, there is a battleground for our minds. And for me, sometimes it's like a thick, oppressive coat that weighs me down and causes me to to be ineffective. It almost paralyzes me. There'll be some mornings I get up and for no reason I just feel just this heaviness upon me and I just wonder, where does that come from? Is it something I've dreamt about, something I left undealt with the night before? And then sometimes I just realize, no, 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 the enemy wants to subdue me this morning because I've got things to go and do for God. So let's be wise. Is it always the spiritual forces of evil? No, I don't think we need to look for the devil behind everything because sometimes it's our own bad choices or just circumstances of life or sometimes our rebellious nature that robs us of our joy and peace and makes Jesus difficult to find as in a foggy day. But let's call the devil out for what scripture says he is. Number one, he's an accuser of the brethren. E.g., are you ever reminded of the sin that has been dealt with Sorry, have you ever reminded of the sin that he's dealt with through Jesus' death and resurrection? Revelation 12.10 says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of the brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. He's been defeated once and for all. Praise God. So he calls this accuser of the brethren. Also, he's named as a liar. Those sort of lies that that girl thought, you'll never amount to anything in your life. John eight forty four, referring to the devil, says this. He was a murderer from the beginning and not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So I don't know if you're anything like me. Sometimes you wake up and you think, well, there's a battle on today just to get before God. But remember, it's the enemy activity. You see, the enemy hates us and scripture reminds us to be alert. So sometimes when let's say we say sometimes, let's get to a prayer meeting or let's get to a life group or let's get to a Sunday meeting or let's read your Bible. 
Sometimes that's hard, isn't it? But sometimes that's our sinful nature, our flesh, as Paul puts it so well in the letters to the Romans. It gets in the way. But there is also spiritual opposition for us standing out and doing anything for God. So what action should we take to prevent an Israelite mentality? We certainly don't want to take a legalistic approach. There's not some sort of formula here because we're under grace. But there's daily exercises which are helpful to do. Romans 12.2 says this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So every day, about getting up and just saying, God, I know that you love me. I know that you've given everything for me. Just renew my mind, Lord God. I want to see things as you see them. I want to get your perspective on my day before I even start to do anything. Or how about Ephesians 6.16, King James Version. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all of the fiery darts or flaming arrows in the New International Version of the wicked. So it's the shield of faith we sometimes need to stand up with. And um, Matt and Brad have been attending a school of leadership thing up in Sheffield recently, and uh, I was just really struck, and I know that Matt and I talked about this, about this, this passage in Ephesians, really. And it's Ephesians 6, verse 12. It says, therefore, put on the armour of God so that when the day of evil comes you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand and the the guy that was sort of taking the the lecture was basically making the point here he doesn't say put on the armour of God so when the day of evil comes you may be able to rush ahead and try and um, push it back he says no just stand stand in your position before Christ don't try and struggle through it don't don't work up a big sweat over it Stand on the place where you've been given. So don't struggle. Stand and remember what God has done for you. Sometimes I shout when that happens to me. I don't know about you, but I find it very helpful to, when the enemy would tend to rush in, I just grab hold of it and I shout, get out, not listening to it. And I vocalise it sometimes because we need to recognise sometimes where that's coming from. We should, we should refuse to accept that in our minds. And we should get a scripture that counterbalances what the enemy is saying to us. So as we begin to close, what conclusion should we make? We've already said that we were chosen by him before the creation of the world. There are no mistakes in whom God has chosen. In addition, we know that we, he also predestined us to be adopted as his sons. There's a wonderful sonship for us here today. And we need to remember that he is the potter and we are the clay. And that he has great plans for us and we are in the process of being changed from one degree of glory to another. And that takes time, effort and willingness on our part. I wonder this morning, are you supple in the hands of the creator? Or have you given up allowing him to change your life because it's too painful or too costly? When we consider and recognise our potential in God and understand our inheritance as children of God, we will no longer have any problems believing God for the natural. But I guess you may not feel like that today. You might have been told or brought up to believe that you are the least of the least. But the thrust of this message is that ordinary people and ordinary means are used to accomplish extraordinary things. William Carey, a famous Baptist minister and missionary, said this, you should always expect great things from God 
and attempt great things for God. You see, God is the master at using the unlikely, you and me, very often. He is the expert at turning the ordinary into the extraordinary. We see his power manifested in lives of people who on the outside may not look impressive, but on the inside have submitted their lives, thoughts and intentions completely over to God. Remember when Jesus got hold of the disciples, they turned the Roman world upside down in just 30 years. So if you feel this morning that in the main you have nothing to offer, then you're just the type of person God loves to work with and through because he chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. And he chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. And he chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Why? So that no one may boast before him. 1 Corinthians 27 to 29. You see, it's nothing to do with our own strength and ability. It's all about our Lord. Remember, God doesn't use those who think they've already arrived or those who think they know all the answers or those who think they can do everything in their own strength because they're all already too busy listening to themselves to even hear what God has to say to them. Do you feel ordinary today? Are you tempted to say, but God, you can't be talking to me. What can I offer? I don't know enough. I don't have enough. I'm not the right age. Will you take a step of faith this morning and put your life in the hands of the master potter? I wonder if the band can come up, please. If we can just bow our heads for a second, please. I just want to wait on God. I felt in my preparation for this morning that I wanted to pray for two groups of people here today and there may be other people that want to respond to this I firstly want to pray for those that have allowed the enemy and circumstances in life to temporarily rob you of your inheritance in Christ I want to remind you it's impossible to lose this inheritance but it's almost like someone has momentarily switched the lights out You used to have real enthusiasm for the gospel and for God. But recent events have crowded you out somewhat. So if that's you, I'd love you to come down to the front with me and I'd love to pray for you later.
And secondly, I believe there are some here that have had your identity in Christ stolen. There have been some destructive words spoken over your lives and have held you captive, some of you, for years. And I felt God say to me this morning, it's time to break that yoke. It's time to make a stand. And it's time to take back the ground the enemy has stolen. It's time to stand and be counted for God again. And just coming back to what Joe felt this morning, it's definitely a time to be brave. Because it's not easy to get out of your seat sometimes and get down to the front. Spirit of God. Lord, help us as we just consider this word this morning, please. And maybe as Matt brought that word as well, we sow in tears and we reap in joy. I think there's something of that to be had this morning. This captivity that you've been in just needs to be broken in the name of Jesus this morning. We know it's for freedom. He set us free. And his death on the cross accomplished everything that we will ever need in this life and more. Let me just remind you of those two groups of people I just felt. So it's the enemy and circumstances that have robbed you of your inheritance in Christ. And secondly, those that feel they've had their identity in Christ stolen. And you've had some words spoken over you. And we just need to get alongside you this morning and just in the power of Jesus over your life, break those words and see you set free. So... This is the way it works in Jubilee. We're going to sing a song, the last song together. And then during that song, I just invite you to come down the front. And there'll be people, men and women in the church, who are used to praying for you. We'd love to get alongside you and just see God break into your life. So it will require some, some of you to get out of your seats. If what I've been saying is spoken to anybody here this morning. And I've learned long enough that actually I leave the consequences of this to God. If no one comes forward, I'm not going to think I've done or said something wrong. But I'm going to just leave the consequences to God. So we'd love you to come down to the front. But if you feel too embarrassed to do that, then grab one of us before you go and get it set right before God. Thank you very much. Thanks, Naomi. Sunday morning.